Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Alison Egger. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to being on a Celtic show, so I have. Oh, listen, it's great to have you on. So Alison, tell us who are you, what are you doing, where are you from? So my background originally was hospitality. I worked in Cape Town, Sydney, the Channel Islands. And then when I came back to the UK, I moved into sales. So I worked for BT, Yellow Pages, Doubt Egberts. And then I set up my own company in 2014. And I'm also known as AKA, the entrepreneur's godmother. Um, and I, you know, I work with a lot of young entrepreneurs, some that you will heard of, the um, Dragon's Den and the Apprentice winners. I also um, speak at events around change and intrapreneurship, so teaching employees to think like entrepreneurs. And my clients are people like the Discovery Channel, Sky, the European Commission. And then in the New Year honours list this year, so last month, I was given an MBE by the Queen for the work that I do for entrepreneurship and for business. So I think that that kind of puts me in a little bit of a nutshell um, and gives a little bit of an overview of what I've done and what I do. And and I've got all so many other things to do going forward as well. Love it. Well, congratulations on the on the honorary award. It's always a it's a lovely to get recognition. How do you feel about it? I think I'm still in shock, Pete, to be honest, because um, I think, you know, when it comes to things like an honour from the Queen, it doesn't happen to people like me. <laughs> you know, I was brought up in a, a high rise council flat and um, I, I think shock. I'm hoping we, what happens is eventually when we come out of the pandemic, you go and you get your investiture and you go to the palace and you meet either the Queen or one of the sort of high-ranking royals. And maybe when that happens, it'll become a reality. But at the moment, it's just like, I'm in shock. Uh, such a, I mean, fair play to you. I mean, it's, it's great, to, you know, to have that recognition and to see it. I know it's only, you know, I know it's only a celebration as such, but it's lovely just to put a wee milestone and, and to be recognised for what you do. So well done. Yeah, and I think as well, like, you know, you look at the Olympians, you know, like they've all got kind of MBEs and, you know, you get MBEs for different things, for sport, for charity. But I think the fact mine is for entrepreneurship and business just is so close to my heart. It's a topic I literally could talk about it all day. I'm just... I, I love it. I love those topics. And, and I, you know, not from a business background. It's something that I just dis- I discovered later and, and the passion for it, you know, the fire in the belly of it, like came later on in life, which, you know, it's, it's interesting because I didn't start my business till I was 46, you know, so I'm now 53. And lots of people are like at 53 are just sort of looking at, you know, when can I retire? When can I wind down? And I'm like, when can I wind up? When can I go faster? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'm most proud about, I think, is the fact it's for something I love. 
Well, what a beautiful way. I mean, and it's lovely to do that. And, you know, you describe it with passion there. I mean, what to describe fire in the belly, what, what does it, what does it mean to you? I think, you know, it's really interesting and that's part of the reason because I get asked to be on quite a lot of podcasts and I don't always say yes to them. So I think it was the title of yours. I thought, you know what, that really inspires me. And and this is going to sound really odd, but like every day when I get up, it's never a chore. It's never a chore to do what I do. It's never a chore to come to work as such. And I get this Literally, I get a fire in my belly every morning with the excitement. And even my team, I go, right, this is today's going to be an absolute cracker of a day. And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, I've got it. The, the, the feeling in my belly tells me today's going to be brilliant. And do you know what? More often than not, it's right that something brilliant will happen that day. But, you know, is that through the mindset of having a fire in your belly or is it actually having a fire in your belly? I think both of them are really closely linked has that always been there for you Alison or I mean is it you mean you mentioned you know a couple of milestones there at 46 and stuff or is that something that's come to you later on in life do you think I think that I've always been driven and passionate I get I'm a grafter like you know my mum was a cleaner in the schools my dad was a draftsman on the shipyard you know I come from a you know a family with a really strong work ethic so I think that hard work is I've never been afraid of it I, I I need to have a lot going on. You know, the, you know that that old saying that if you want something done, give it to the busiest person in the room and it's going to get done. Well, I've always been the busiest person in the room. So I, it's always sort of come to me. But I think, um, yeah, I think it's always, uh, I, I'd say that my confidence in, in business has obviously grown, but my passion and my energy is something that I've always had, no matter what. If I, you know, if I'm interested in something, I give it, you know, a hundred percent all the time. I mean, you you mentioned there about being uh, dyslexic. I mean, how how have you found that through the years? I, hard it was first. I mean, I originally um, I was late diagnosed, so when I was at school, I didn't I I, I didn't know. I, I could. It was just something that I I struggled with reading and writing, and I knew I struggled with reading, writing, and spelling. But I wasn't the only one in my class, you know, so I didn't feel alone. But what I think I gathered at a really early age when I was struggling with reading and writing, I had to work out what I was good at. What was I really strong at? And I love people. Um, I love, you know, conversations. You know, I love I love engaging and, and understanding different types of people. So I think that's why, like, even from an early age, I discovered that the main thing that I had to do was concentrate on my strengths. And I think that is one of the best things, one one of the best pieces of advice that I ever gave myself because a lot of people focus on the things they're not brilliant at and try and improve all the things they're not great at. Whereas if you can really excel at the things that you are really strong at, then the other things don't matter as much. So, um, and it's interesting, I look back because the first hotel that I ever worked in was a small family business and I was 16 and by the time I was 17, I was like emceeing weddings. You know, I was in charge of running weddings. I was like, here comes the bride and groom. And like for any kind of 17-year-old, that would have been quite daunting. But I knew that that was something that I was really good at and just kept on focusing on, on my strengths. And my strength is people. 
It's always interesting when somebody has, you know, I mean, dyslexia, whatever way you choose to look at it, quite often it manifests in different ways through some people will become very distracted or actually they, they develop a, a superpower almost elsewhere to, to, to make up for it. I mean, it sounds like almost emceeing or, or being creative seem to be your manifestation. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and I think the other thing I learned in the hotel, because this was in the 80s, showing my age again, but there was no computers. So every single penny that came through that hotel had to come through the manual tab system, and it was all ledger-based. So again, I, I, I like numbers. I was always interested in numbers, and it gave me... Again, I didn't know. You would, I would never have described that as understanding business. All I knew was, you know, count the cash, put it through, put it through the ledger, does a ledger balance, job done, are we in profit, job done. You know, and that really was a brilliant grounding than any education that I could have got about business because I was, you know, learning it from the ground up. I love, I mean, the instantness of business, you know, when it was so much simpler, as you say, are we in profit? Yes or no? Is there a ledger? Does it balance? And it's business 101, right? Well, it, you know, it's really interesting. You would think it was business 101, but I mean, you obviously have seen Dragon's Den. You know, that these people don't know where their GP is, where their net profit is. They don't know how to make money. And I think this is, I mean, the pandemic has been awful for businesses but a lot of businesses were in trouble before this and they didn't know how to, to make money in their business. You know, they didn't, to me, like it equates to the same as being on a diet. If you want to lose weight, you have to like eat healthier, eat less calories and exercise more and you'll lose weight. The same with business. If you sell more and you spend less, you'll be in profit. It It, it is, I know there's obviously a lot of facets behind it, but it is as easy as that, really. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it can be kept quite simple. And sometimes it seems to be made extraordinarily complicated, unnecessarily, maybe. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. But again, it, it's interesting. I do a lot of talks. Like I, I remember doing um, Money Box on BBC Radio 4. Mm-hmm. And it was myself and an accountant. And we were having a friendly banter, shall we call it, friendly banter about which was the most important in business you know the cash flow or the sales or the and I said well you can have all the cash flow you like but if you don't sell you've got nothing to count so I'm waving the sales card on this one it's definitely more important well that's how I suppose you, you can work on profit right but if you've no money in the till in the first place there's nothing to work on no 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 it's all so again it is the balance isn't it really you know I gave the accountant a hard time but you have it's cash flow it's all about the cash flow mm-hmm so take us back, Alison. I mean, talk to us about Minnie, Minnie Alison. Who would we have been looking at? So uh, she would always have been at the centre of a room with a lot of people around her. She'd always be like, um, I like to be the centre of attention. And it's interesting. So my mum is one of 12 children. So my gran, my granny had, I think, about 100 grandchildren and Again, family, you went to Granny's and Granny had the corner and that's where you had to sing, right? And being one of a hundred grandchildren, everybody, they all like to be the centre of attention. So that was quite competitive. So I think Minnie Allison, you know, there was only my sister and I in our small family, but in a bigger environment, I think we always had to like 
sing loud or be be funny, be witty, be confident to stand out. And I think that confidence for me sort of came at a fairly early age that, you know, one of my my things is like, why would you blend in when you can stand out? And I think I've always kind of made an effort to to stand out. And and I think the other thing that I've taken with me throughout the life is, you know, I've still got friends now that I'm friends with from school. So, and, and what you see, you know, what you see today is what you get. So I'm exactly the same as I was then. I haven't, you know, I'm hopefully I've evolved and, you know, there's maybe other things that I've got better at or stronger at, but ultimately I'm just exactly the same as I was when I was living in the high rise cancel flat in, in Clyde Bank, really. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, and were you, were you running into school or running out? Which, which was your direction of travel then? Um, so into school, um, I was, I hated the class. I hated the education because of the dyslexia, which again, I didn't know. But I was always, um, you know, it was the people. I went every day and I was always there on time. And I was always, you know, I was I was quite a good girl, really. I, you know, I wasn't a bad girl, but I, I, well, naughty sides. But mainly the people, it was the, it was the people I went to school with. And again, I'm still friends with the same people that I went to school with. It's great, isn't it? I mean, that sort of, I mean, were you, were you in a very sort of close-knit community and um, was your family your community as well? Well, Clyde Bank is obviously working class town. So it's a, a suburban sprawl of Glasgow. So it wasn't central Glasgow, but it was like between Glasgow and Loch Lomond and, uh, but very working class, very, very working class. And I mean, it's interesting because I left Scotland when I was 19 to, to go travelling and then I came back and I thought I'd be back for good. You know, sounds a bit like, uh, take that, I'm back for good. And then I bumped into my husband at a party in Glasgow and we'd been together a couple of years and he got a job in Wiltshire in England. And that's so why I now live in Wiltshire. We've been here since 96. But um, yeah, I, I, I think, but again, I still got friends that I worked with when I worked in Scotland and when I worked in Australia that I keep quite good friendships. That's amazing. I mean, and from your mum and dad, then who do you, who do you take after? Who's your? I think I'm a combination of both. My mum was definitely the chatty one. You know, my mum like and like she would. So again, we lived in the high flat, right? And her little shops would be at the bottom of the road, and my mum would probably go to the shops ten times a day. Not actually because she needed anything from the shopping, but she just liked to bump into the neighbours or have a little chat. So I definitely, from that side, um, my dad was more, he was a quieter man, but again, always kind of thought things through, very driven. You know, he was knocked down when he was very young, told he would never walk again, and he managed to learn to walk. And then he did his national service, and then he retrained um so he did uh, the boards, like draftsman on the boards, and he went back to college in his late 50s to learn AutoCAD. And at that stage, he then became one of the most sought-after draftsmen in Scotland in the north of England because he had a combination of both skills. And I think he never let his age hold him back. And again, I think that's where starting a business at 46. Um, you know, that may, may be a combination of both of us, but, you know, definitely... From the from the chatty side, more like my mum. That's great. I love it. That nice balance, as you say. And uh, 
yeah, I can see the chatty side somewhere, you know, it sort of certainly shines through a wee bit. It's great. Yeah, and I think, though, do you know, I, I look back and, you know, if you were to say, you know, happiness or, you know, just roundedness, how would I rate my childhood? Well, I was brought up, my parents were brilliant. We had no money, but they loved me unconditionally. They gave me the strength to believe that I can do what, what I want to do. And I think those that upbringing, I know that I'm blessed with that, Pete. You know, so many people, especially now, and, you know, they're not coming from two-parent families or, you know, they're, they're not. And we weren't affluent, but it didn't matter because love and support could outbalance any form of cash. You know, we, it, it didn't matter. So I, I know that I was blessed. Absolutely. I mean, fair play. It's, you know, even the hard work and everything else, as you say, you, but you still had an appreciation and you were still able. But what was your what was your go to in the song? What was, what was your performance? Well, I was rubbish. This is the thing. You know, it was literally Paper Roses, Marie Osmond, Paper Roses. We all sang Paper Roses in the corner. We were so bad, but Granny loved it. And, you know, Granny didn't care. Um, but yeah, with so many grandchildren, you had to do something to stand out. Love it. Oh, I love it. So what was the plan then? What was Alice going to do when she grew up? What was the, the go-to? I, you know, I, I, I never really had the plan. You know, I got the job in the hotel. Like, my, again, coming back to work ethic, this was now the 80s. And, you know, there was ha- very high unemployment in, in, you know, working class Scotland at that time. And my mum and dad was, they didn't really care what job I got. <laughs> But I was not allowed to leave school without a job. So at the time I was going out with a boy in Clybank and his dad was one of the bouncers in this hotel because it had a nightclub as well. And that I got that job the same day. So I basically left school and got the job in the same day. But I tell you, you know, you're bringing back memories now that I've probably forgotten about. And I think as a, a young person, I thought like in working in a hotel, you gave out keys, right? Checking in, there's a key, checking out. I didn't realise that, you know, you work to like 1am. So at 16 and 17, I worked to 1am to cash off the bars and, you know, you know, put everything through. But the owner of the hotel, it was a family hotel and it was called the Cameron House. So there was two brothers that ran it. Um, and I couldn't get the job without my dad. He wanted to meet my dad. Again, weird, isn't it? Now that I just I don't think that would happen now. But before he'd interviewed me, he, he really wanted to give me the job, but he wanted to like interview my dad about the working hours. Cause you know, we start at seven o'clock, we finish at three, we start at three, we finish at one o'clock, and back in the next morning, seven, you know, was he happy that his daughter would be doing that? And my dad said, Well, she's her own girl, you know, she's got a passion and strength and she's got determination. If she wants this job, she'll be doing that. And you know what? I never missed a shift. I never slept in. And and I think that was interesting. So again, my work ethic was combined with not only my parents' work ethic, but Mr. Cameron really supported, you know, my teachings and learnings in the hotel industry, which have always just stuck with me as well. That's amazing too. I mean, it's a, it's a very strong mindset to have at such a young age. I mean, and that's, is that a testament to your parents or is that, that your character as well, do you think? I think it's a combination of everything, really, isn't it? I mean, you look now and you think, well, is it nature nurture? You know, you you know, mindset. You know, can you change your mindset? And I believe that you can. You know, I think it's easy to have a fixed mindset to think, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, and 
And again, I think it was interesting as well when I went travelling. So I left Claybank at 20 to move to Cape Town. And my sister was living in South Africa at the time, but I wasn't actually going to go and live with my sister. And I can remember getting to Glasgow Airport. And I got to Glasgow Airport and it was at the time where it was the man, the wee man, took the ticket. It wasn't the scanny thing. It was the wee man. And he checked the ticket and he said, where are you going, hen? And I, I said, oh, going to live in Cape Town. I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving my dog. I'm leaving my friends. And it was really emotional. Like it, when you leave home, it's an emotional time. And he said, well, hen, do you know what? That's Cape Town's gain and Glasgow's loss. And, you know, that's something that's always stuck with me. If I've changed house, if I've left a job, if I've left a country. And that I think having that inner strength to believe that actually that's somebody's gain is something that a lot of people could learn from. That's a beautiful way of looking at it, isn't it, really? You know, that, as you say, there's, there's gains and losses, but things happen for a reason, right? Well, the other thing you have got is that, you know, that man has no idea what impact he had in my life. No idea, literally. That man was just doing his job. And I think that's an important life lesson that you've got no idea how your behaviours affect other people. But if you always keep your behaviours positive and, and you're upbeat, then you just might rub off and, and change somebody's life that you just, you've just you never even met, that you don't even know. I mean, do you, do you have a set of, you know, a mantra or sort of ethics that you work to that you, you know, you've always had? Do you work by that? I mean, I'm, it's interesting. When I set up the company, <laughs> you have to like, because having worked in corporate, you're like, what's your mission statement? What's your vision statement? What are your mantras? And um, I think that some of the core values are like, when it comes to sort of sales and stuff, like I genuinely believe when it's delivered correctly that sales and customer service is exactly the same thing. You know, I have a vision to be like the Adele of the, the, my industry because not because I want to be famous, but I don't know what I do, Pete, or how I do it, but people love it, right? I, I'm just being me. And it's, it's my fire in my belly to raise my profile so that I can help more people. And if I if I play too small, if I give up too soon, it's not just me or my family that that affects, but it's all the people that would benefit from the things that I see or the things that can do to change their life. And I think that's what gives me the fire in the belly to continue to work so hard, to continue to speak to so many people. So I think those are, you know, I, I, I didn't, go out purposely to set those things they just are how I kind of live my life and I think the mantra would be that every day that I bring my a-game I bring it every day right and some days my a-game is just that I you know get dressed and get down the stairs other days I can run like a half a marathon other days I can like be on stage in front of five or six hundred people but as long as I know that that day that I bring my A-game and I do my best, then that's all I can do. And I think, again, that comes back to my education that, you know, okay, on paper, there is no education there, but I did my best to not get any results. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I didn't know why I couldn't achieve ac academic results, but now I do, but it didn't matter because I did my best. And, and that's all you can do in your life is bring your A-game. 
No, very, very true. I mean, it doesn't matter what your skills or your abilities, but actually you can still turn up and be the best you can be. And out of interest, what, what was your school reports? What what did they say? Well, they didn't know that I didn't have... I think I made, I made bad choices in, in, in what I picked as my subjects, if that makes sense. And again, the reason I made bad choices is you are influenced by other people. So my sister is a pharmacist. So she was a straight A student for her O grades, GCSEs, hires. So I thought, oh yeah, she chose that path. I should choose that path. Whereas taking the weaker subjects as it would have been deemed, the non-scientific subjects, I felt that would have been a failure at that time. Whereas I took all these things and I couldn't retain the information. So for example, one of the things I do remember was studying for my O grades and photosynthesis. So I was obviously doing chemistry at the time, or I don't know, biology, whatever it was, but it was chemistry, isn't it? And I would read about what photosynthesis was, and then I'd go away and I'd do something, and my mum my and my sister would be working me on it, and they would say, what's photosynthesis? And I'd be like, I don't know, I can't remember. Not, but you could remember three minutes ago before you went to the kitchen for a drink. Why can you not remember that? And I'm like, I don't know. But I can't. They're like, you're not trying hard enough. And I'm like, I am trying. I just can't remember. And finally, my family came round to the, the knowing that I was trying. I just couldn't retain it. So I got a C for arithmetic and everything else was a fail. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's that's okay. That doesn't matter. That doesn't define you what your academic qualifications are. What what is there any particular subjects you did like to do? Is there anything that stood out for you? Yeah, I like the breaks and I like lunchtime. Good, good, good parts of the day, right? They were the best part and and and, and home time. And at that time I discovered golf. I started playing golf at that age. Um so I had a distraction to go and play golf and hang out with well, hang out with the boys, to be fair, because all the boys played golf, so it was a good place to be because you were friends with all the popular boys. I'm getting a lot of kinesthetic language there, very doing, you know, as if so as opposed to the reading and the visual side, just the, the the kinesthetic, you know, if you want to do something, show me type thing. Is that, yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, you so you really work in the hotel. You you went off traveling then to Cape Town. What what happened? So I was there for a couple of years. I, like I, I went over and I got a job again, so the same day that I arrived because like, there was no cash. I had to. My mum and dad had taken out a wee policy, wee policy, and I cashed in the wee policy to buy a flight. Um, they said that was okay. I don't think they were that happy, but they said it was okay. And I got a job as a receptionist for Southern Sun. So I was in the centre of Cape Town, and after about. A couple of months, I got promoted to head receptionist, and then I was running the porters team, and I was running receptionist. So I stayed there, and then I just felt, well, I feel I wanted to do more travelling, and then I ended up in the Channel Islands, and it was just too small for me, but it was tax free, so it was quite good, so I could save a bit. And then I ended up in Australia for a couple of years, so I worked at Ayers Rock for six months, and then I was in Sydney for eighteen months. What a fabulous global experience to see all that, you know, and obviously you got over your, your sort of homesickness and getting away through Glasgow Airport okay. I, I always kept that ethos. I mean, I think one of the hardest moves was moving to Australia, really, because I did, I travelled on my own, so it wasn't like I was travelling with friends or I just literally got the backpack and thought, meh. And I phoned my mum and I felt really, like, as a parent now, 
you know, sometimes you don't think about other people, do you? And I can remember phoning my mum from Jersey when I lived there and I phoned her up and I went, mum, guess what I did today? Guess what I did? Guess what I bought? And she said, I don't know, a handbag, shoes, what, I don't know, what did you buy? I went, no, mum, no. I bought a flight to Australia. I'm moving to Australia. And that was how I told her, you know, on a pay phone in the dorm room in Jersey. I'm phoning my mum saying, I bought a ticket. I'm moving to Australia. I didn't even once think about how that would affect her as a parent. If my kids did that now, I would go mad. <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine too. I mean, it wasn't exactly a phone call a day type thing. It was probably a, a fairly significant occasion to make it, you know, make it worthwhile. Yeah, well, there was always a queue for that payphone because there was no mobile phones in those days. You had to queue up and have the change. Oh, that's a fabulous way to be. Well, fair play to you. So, I mean, how did you find Australia? Was that a good place? Oh, I loved it. I, I'm a one season kind of girl. I only like summer. I'm not very good at the other three. I'm only like, oh. So I really enjoyed it. And again, made great, made great friends. So this is like, I've got one of my friends. I mean, I spoke to him last week and my flatmate, who I used to share a flat with in Sydney, I spoke to him. I speak to them all. Another one of my old bosses, she's now living in Dubai. So I speak to her. I usually go over, obviously not this year, but every other year I go in February and get a bit of winter sun and, and catch up with my friends. So yeah, yeah it's all, all, all good with the the travel and, and meeting people. Sounds like you're sort of a, a friends for life sort of a later, you know, where you're, you get to know people and you'll know them forever. I, I know it's really interesting. So I think I've got people that I, I call them the deep friendship friends. Like I think it's like the, I call it even like on, I talk about LinkedIn, but like it's the, the narrow but deep friendship group. And then I've got a lot of other people that I've got lots of friends, that, but they're wide and shallow friends. They, they wouldn't be the 3 a.m. friends or, you know, whatever it is. And I think it's, you know, that's okay as well. I think it's about having that balance in your life. And for me, I need a lot of people around me, but they've all got different levels of, you know, friendship, if that makes sense. Do you value, I mean, are you... Do you do you prefer to be on your own company or other people's company? I mean, where where do you get your your sort of energy and flow? I definitely get energy. I'm definitely an extrovert, so I feed off other people. So that really energizes me. But I, you know, I sometimes need a little bit of time on my own to reflect, to recharge, but not too much because if I've got too much time on my own, then that deflates me rather than inflates me. That's- Long enough to, yeah, long enough to recharge, but not long enough to set yourself off on a, on a speed wobble somewhere else. No, because it's easy. I think it's easy to overthink when you're, you're on your own. It's easy, especially this year. It's been a tough year. It's easy to then, you know, not find the strength, not dig into your A-game. Mm. So, you know, little doses on my own, but mainly I energise with other people. How is the inner voice then, the inner chatter? Do you know what? Even if... Even if I have a negative thought, you know, because I obviously teach about mindset, I teach about change, I teach that, like, you know, thought, feeling, behavior, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of know that stuff. But sometimes, like, for example, something happened last week. Last week, I got an email and I wasn't happy about the email that somebody had made a, a clinic, a, a administrative error, right? And in theory, like the logic should say, that's an administrative error. Don't get wound up about that. Just have the conversation and it will get sorted. But then I'm like, 
how very dare they? Maybe that was my fault. So again, you're arguing with yourself and I don't do it often. I'm usually really good. but And usually, even if that happens, I'll go, oh, well. But the positive to that is, so even in life, I'm usually quite good at going, oh, well. But the positive to that is I can usually always end on a positive. So I'm really quite good at pulling myself back because I you know, know what I'm doing, you know. But when it's down, oh, literally, it's like down for five and then I've got to get back up or otherwise I'll just end up in a hole. Yeah, it's, it's so true, isn't it? And especially with what's going on at the moment, it's yeah. it's very easy to, to sort of take on the outside environment, which could have a, a longer term impact. So the very wise Mr. Edgar always taught me, just concentrate on the things that you can influence and don't worry about the things you can. And I think that's that's a great mantra to live your life by, isn't it? Because so many times people especially at the moment that they're worrying about the virus, the this, the that, the that. They can't control any of that. That's just setting them into spiral. Whereas if you do focus on things you can control, like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do this or I'm going to get the dinner on early or I'm going to walk the dog or, you know, you can control all those things and they'll make you feel better. But, you know, it's easier said than done for a lot of people. But I think if you focus like that, then it does help. I'm curious, you know, as you were saying, you know, you sort of that phone call home, you take it, you know, it's it's a, it's an event, whereas nowadays it's we've so much information on hand and, and exposure to so much. I mean, it's, it's going to be very different for people nowadays, really. Yeah, I mean, I think, Trav, the world's a lot smaller now, isn't it? Because you know so much. I mean, that that Google malarkey, it knows a lot, right? When I went to Australia, I didn't even know. And, I, and I, I can remember I came home for Christmas and one of the gaps between that, but I stopped off in Hawaii. But you couldn't, like, it's not like you just, like, go into booking.com and book a hotel. So I get to the airport in Hawaii and it's Christmas time. Everything's really busy. And I'm trying to think, oh, how am I going to find somewhere to stay? You know, and then from there I went to, I think I went to San Francisco. And, like, it was, I think it was tougher now. I think it's a wee bit easier. Travel's definitely a wee bit easier because you've got more information and and you know, it's easier. Do you like change? I mean, is that part of you? Do you like the adventure, the experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting because I obviously teach around change now and I talk about the topics of change. And I think that I, I don't think I always embraced change. I think, you know, there's part, I think change is hard. And I think no matter whether you love it or you don't hate it, there's always a fear of change. I think there's a fear in there. But I think you can become enthused by change and interested in change but I, I don't think I've always I think I, I think I would have said I was scared of change and even now you know there's things I'm thinking oh and my, my initial reaction would be oh I'm really scared I'm really frightened oh I don't want to do that differently <gasps> oh and then again you have to have that inner conversation with yourself around change I mean that's you know and in terms of your own sort of guidance I mean do you seek outside guidance or do you are you sort of okay in your own skin and you talk you through your own process I'm usually quite good at making my own decisions. But again, this is where I've got a core group of people that I'll always run things past. You know, I'll go, right, I'm thinking about doing this, this and this. And and if they think, you're mad. And sometimes people do think I'm, I'm literally mad in the head. And I'll go, but no, this is the reason I'm doing this. And they'll go, oh, right, okay, that makes sense then. So sometimes I have to go in and explain it a wee bit better. But I'm usually quite clear you know on on what I want to do and then I have to work out why I want to do it and if it all equates then I'll kind of go with a fire in my belly if, and if it doesn't I'll know something's not quite right and I won't do it 
Are you sort of a, an away from sort of a woman? Are you, you know, do you go away from what you're trying to achieve or are you very much towards what's the opportunity? Toward, toward. I, 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 I do. So I run a vision, you know, a vision board. Like at the start of the year, I'll know what my vision is. I'll have smart objective times on it. I'm going to do this at this time. This is my goal for this. This is my goal for that. And but I don't get mad like this year. So like, for example, one of the goals was to go on holiday to Croatia and me. Well, that didn't happen, but I'll still go on holiday to Croatia. I'll just move it to 2021. Um, another thing was to speak at more live events like the European Commission in Belgium. I was due to go there in March and that didn't happen. So, again, I'll move the time frame. I don't get mad at things. I'll just move them around or, you know, anything I think is not worth it. I'll just dump it. If, you know, I'll just go and I don't want to do that anymore. That's not that's not on the vision board. It's gone and I'll replace it with something else. There's something to that, really, isn't it? You know, you just sort of, you, know, you just roll with it a wee bit, you know, because stuff does happen, the odd pandemic thrown in here or there, you know. Yeah, but I think it's it's a strength to dump something from your vision board as much as it is to add something on it, because so many people keep going for something that and they don't really know why they're going for it or they, they wanted it for the wrong reasons. So, for example, in this year's vision board, I wanted to start a degree in psychology because I'm so fascinated by the whole psychology. And I've got qualifications when it comes to behaviors and you know I've, I've done some some qualifications in that area but again I think because I left school without qualifications that a degree was a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder or oh, I just feel that I, I feel that I need that to make me look more qualified and actually nobody cares whether I've got a degree or not they buy me for me and my life experience and the work that I've done with my clients and and I wanted the degree for the wrong reason so when I analysed the reasons that I wanted it, it wasn't strong enough and I've just dumped it. I don't need it. So, you know, I think that's the strength in itself to be able to say, I did that for the wrong reasons. I'm taking that off. I'm not going to keep going for that because even if I got it, it wouldn't mean it wouldn't mean enough. It wouldn't be valuable enough. Oh, so it makes a lot of sense. I mean, is that is that ego sort of a play? Is that, you know, sort of inner beliefs just sneaking up? I think it's like, yeah, I mean... It's like people with money, right? For example, you know, I was watching a couple of your podcasts and there was a couple of people on there, you know, oh, I'm going to uh, make 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, 100 million, whatever it is. Really? I mean, a load of people talk about that. I, the money side of things, yeah, I mean, it's nice to be comfortable and have money, but I, I'm not bothered about earning 10 million pounds because a lot of people don't make 10 million pounds. They might have 10 million in their company, but we just said at the start, cash flow is everything. Do you know what I mean? They're in debt. They've taken things on. And, and you know, so I think people have got their goals for different reasons. But even if they did that, what, what, what would it make them any happier? Would it make them any better? Would it make them any feel any more complete? I think that it's not. For me, I run my life through three banks, right? So I've got the bank of cash. And again, it's nice to have cash as a disposable cash to do nice things if you want to do that or, you know, just do what you want with the cash. But the other two components to my banks are the banks of cash, the bank of give back and the bank of faffing around. So I spend a lot of my time like mentoring young people. Um, I spend time, you know, just doing things that will enhance other people's life that I don't put all over my social media but when I've done them I go I feel really brilliant because I know I've, I've changed that person's life and then I've got the bank of faffing around so like today feeds the bank of faffing around I'll come off of here and I'll be all buzzy because I've 
been faffing around. I went to London at the weekend for a business meeting, which, but again, with people that I really wanted to spend time with and it feeds the bank of faffing around. So I think I, I'm really good at compartmentalising my life into the different banks. And if my banks are in order, you know, because if, if I haven't got cash, I can't faff around. If I haven't, if I'm working too hard, I can't give back. And then I'm out of kilter. So to me, it's always about having my life in kilter. And I think that's what helps me to be a confident, rounded, completed kind of person. Where, I mean, talk to me about the giving back. I mean, where does that, you know, where can you serve best? And, and you know, what, what, do you, what are you trying to get across? Um, I love working with young people. They inspire me. I feel like I'm 16 or 24 or whatever it is. And I think they give me youth back. They also give me different perspective. They, they just inspire me. Um, you know, everybody's got something that they're passionate about. And I think that's where you're like, start up entrepreneurship. You know, I'll spend some time in that area because I'm passionate about entrepreneurship. And, you know, sometimes I'll give away free courses that I've completed, you know, like I've created or, you know, without charging people. And I feel that's really good. I've helped that person potentially start a business to, you know, sometimes it's like if you look at international entrepreneurship, it's about giving people the seeds to grow the carrots to start the business rather than giving them the carrots. Well, that's if I can give them the tools and donate my time or donate my courses to help them create a business. It just makes me feel good. I mean, how would you have helped you back in the day? Do you know? Um, I mean, I think I've always had people that the word mentor isn't the right word, but I've always looked up to people who kind of knew what they were doing in certain areas. So I've never been shy of taking advice from people, whether I take it and utilize it or take it and ignore it. I'll always be quite inquisitive when it comes to things. Well, why is that? Why is that? Oh, why is that? So I've always had people that have, have inspired me and I've taken advice from. So I think I would, you know, for me to be able to do that for other people is something that is important to me. That's really, it's quite something, I suppose, if someone else, and again, slightly back to the kinesthetic thing, I think as well, you know, that somebody can show you a different way, as you say, whether you want to learn that or not is, is another thing. Do you know, I think it's really, um, I never think I have got all the answers. I never think that I know anything. And even when I do think that I know something and I'll fight my corner for it, uh, if somebody can explain to me why they think their way is better or this way is better or different, I'll go, and I might not, my gut reaction might not be that. It might be like, what do they know? But actually, when I analyse what they've said, I'll go, oh, I could, if I took a bit of that and a bit of this, then that would make things better this way. So I'm always quite open to suggestion. I don't know whether that's just life experience or I don't know. I, I like to learn. That's a lovely way of looking at it, though, that you can, as you say, you can put the ego as such a side or whatever way you look at it that, you know, as you say, you can take the what if and and also just explore other people's opinions too. But I believe that's having a growth mindset. You know, that's what having a growth mindset is. You know, you'll take feedback, you'll take criticism and you'll say, right, okay, right, I'm taking that right on the chin. What can I do to improve myself? I think that, you know, so many people don't because they've got a fixed mindset and a growth mindset will always take feedback, whether they agree with it or not. Again, and it's hard, you know, sometimes feedback is personal and 
nobody really wants to be criticized personally they don't you know no matter how thick your skin is it's like oh but it's you know whether you take that and 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 take it on the on board and change and I think that's something I've evolved like my business has evolved my business styles have evolved my training styles have evolved my speaking styles have evolved from people that have given me feedback and I've taken it to to make what I do the best that I can bring my a-game and bring my skills together and I think that's when you really feel that you've achieved I mean how was it for you I mean you talked about your sister there you know and she sort of faced ours and you know pharmacy and doing all this and and you're obviously just cut from a different cloth I mean did it take a while to shake that off or is that something you sort of had to No, I think she's brilliant she's so different to me so she's quite quiet and I'm like and I can remember like she so there's seven and a half years between us as well so she's a well she's a lot older than me right but I tell you one of my bugbears people we go out and she's aged where is that your sister which one's older I'm like seven and a half years it's like nearly a decade older than she she's older than me but she's um like I can remember when you know she was going out she's so she's been going out she's been going out with her husband and married to him for like well she's 60 this year and she met when they were 18 so that 42 years they've been together. So I've known him since I've been 11. So he's always been part of our family. And they've, again, got a really great, strong, loving relationship. So um, I just think it's, it, you know, that if you could bottle that side. And again, I know that like my mom and dad have always been married. We're always married. My husband and I have been together for I don't know, 25 years-ish. His parents have always been together. My sister's always been together. So we come from like a, a family of two parent families. And again, I just know that everybody's not that blessed. That's one of the things that is such a strong, important part to me. And again, I think I look that as an advantage that not like the family didn't just stay together for their kids. They stay together because they want to be together with their husband or their wife and have that really strong bond. And I think that really gave me a brilliant start I hope that I've given that to my kids and you know I hope that my kids can give that to their kids and and to me that's important family is important relationships are important and if you've got that stable base it makes it easier to grow from I mean, what what was your you know agenda with your own kids had you a sort of a policy that you took forward from your childhood or um both my kids are dyslexic, which is really interesting. Much to my husband's like, oh, no, come on, what happened? How did you get the dyslexic ones? I'm like, they've got the superpowers, darling. Um, the, yeah, again, I, I, I chose, and again, it's, I chose a really good husband. Neil's a brilliant, you know, he's a great husband. He's a great dad. He's a great dad to the dog. You know, when you travel, you meet a lot of different people. And I think that gave me a goal and what I wanted from a relationship. So I think the relationship um, and equal parenting, you know, like, they, you know, when I was feeding the boys and they would get up and he would change them and, you know, we equally parented, which I think is good. So they're equ- the kids are equally as close to both the parents that, um, and they see us as role models. I'd hope they see us as role models in their life, especially, you know, Neil works hard in his job. I've set up a business I've got an MBE that I would hope that that would inspire them to believe that anything is possible for them 
It's a lovely way of looking at it, isn't it? You know, that as you say, that hard work. But I mean, that seems to almost that cloth seems to have been passed down from your parents too. You know, that sort of yeah. And I think that's you know, I feel blessed. I feel absolutely in my life that's something I'm blessed with. Is that a nature nurture thing? I mean, is it is it a blessing or is it is it also being the perspective that you've chosen for it? Uh, do you know? I wish I knew the answer to that. I think maybe the combination of both. You know, mm. I think you grow you, you grow your own like because there's, there's people out there who are like brilliant parents and the kids still kind of go off the rails, bless them, you know. So I don't know, is it nature, nurture? Is it, mm. I just think again, same with the kids, I bring my e-game every day, try to do the best, try to tell them that I love them, try to communicate with them. They drive me mad when there's like plates and bowls in their bedrooms, you know, <laughs> I think it's like anything else. But I think if you know that you're created a good and safe environment for your children to grow from, I think that, that helps. Mm, makes a lot of sense and and i mean have you are you have you worked all the way through you know with with bringing up your you know your kids has that always been well yes and no so i worked in corporate at the time and neil was keen that i didn't go back to work so again i don't know whether that was a wee bit old-fashioned or but what i discovered there's only 17 months between my children so they're very close in age and and that was a really tough time for me. That was like, I ended up had postnatal depression when the kids were really small. I just, I really struggled to cope. And I ended up going back to work part-time. So I worked part-time. The boys were really close in age. My mum and dad were now living near us. My mum was, um, my dad was in a wheelchair. My mum was trying to support him. It was just really tough. And I think um, I liked to go to work because it was easier <laughs> being at home so I worked part-time and then as soon as the kids got to high school that's when I really it was my time so now is my time to shine I've given everybody all that they needed and now it's me it's my time and we had a lot of people again when it's their time would want to stop I'm like want to accelerate and and really that sounds a bit odd, but live the best life. You know, I want to leave with a legacy and I can only leave a legacy if I've put my foot down now. What's the nicest thing somebody could say about you behind your back? Do you know what? I would honestly say if I were to, if you were to ask people, so if you were to go around a room and ask people what they would say about me, I would say 99% of people would say really nice things. And I don't mean that in a big-headed kind of way, but I think it is because what you see with me is what you get. What they would say in front of my face would be the same as they would say behind my back. And it's just like they would probably say that I'm really genuine, that I'm really caring, that I'm really loyal, that I'm really hardworking. So I, I don't think there would be a disparity of what somebody would say behind my back as they would say to my face. I would hope. But again, there was almost that 1% in there that might might see something different. It's great too. I mean, can you can you take a compliment? Are you good at that? Yeah, I can take compliments, but I, do you know I'm 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 analyzing that 99% and I wonder that like, what I'm thinking is maybe based on the fact that I think 99% would say nice things, maybe the one percent that says more about them than it says about me. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we all think differently as well, because you're going to get there. You go jumps in and go, well, I won't. Uh, yeah. You know. I mean, I teach behaviors. So I know where I sit on the behaviors. Like I'm a disc practitioner and I know that, again, my diagonal opposite, I drive them bananas. But again, I'm quite good at adaption. I still stay true to myself and my values, but I'm good at adaption. But yeah, I know that, that you know, 
So, but I think, yeah, I think they would say that fairly good things, I would hope. You always have to throw that in, don't you? Just in case it's like, yeah, yeah, they'd, they'd all be really nice. I, I think. Yeah. I hope. Well, they won't. We know they won't. But I think that the people that would say not nice things again, they, and they wouldn't be. Um, it might be around ego. It might be around the fact, you know, you know. Oh, she thinks she's in Scotland. This is what we would say. My like, my my granny or my auntie would say, she's got a big hit for herself. So that, that would be something. She's got a big hit for herself, huh? So, but then again, I think that's confidence. You know, if you're not confident in yourself, other people won't be confident in you. And I think if you don't think you've got a big hit for yourself, then nobody else will either. So I think it's okay to be confident in what you do or what you say. Where does that confidence come from? Ian? Has that just been there with you? Is it? Um, I think it's... No, not always, but no, not always. I just think it's, it's, as I've grown older, it's just got stronger maybe because I feel like I'm a wee bit more knowledgeable in different areas, so. Just like it's P.A. Allison on the decks, you know, it's like shouting out for the for the weddings and all the rest, you know. it's yeah. there's, a, there's a level of confidence there too, right? Yeah, I think I have. You know, I wouldn't say that I've, you know, been a shrinking wallflower, but then it depends on what it is so if like reading out loud oh goodness me i'd be the last one in the class that would ever put my hand up to read out loud because i knew that that wasn't a strength whereas you know having a conversation or ad you know ad libbing at something then i would have been one of the first people because i think well i'm quite good at that i'll put my hand up so yeah it's always interesting i suppose with the dyslexia thing quite often as you say it does seem to fire almost like a super superpower elsewhere it's yeah you know your deficiency in one boosts mm-hmm. qualities in another i mean does that make sense yeah definitely i think it's creativity so like I, i'm quite good at being creative around oh we create some content will we do this will we do that or you know what we do in the business and even when we like a lot of the business dried out because a lot of the thing i was speaking at events like i was supposed to be in belgium and it wasn't it all finished and we couldn't so I'm like right okay that's fine we just carry on we create something else new we create a new product and we sell that and that's what we did to get through you know the lockdown stuff we just created new stuff whereas a lot of people would have wouldn't be able to do that because that's not one of their strengths yeah and it is as you said I mean well you know change is obviously one of your big topics as well so yeah yeah you know it'd be it'd be uh, naturally expected for you to change and adapt accordingly yeah What's, so. <laughs> <laughs> what what have you found? I mean, what's what is this whole situation? What's it, what have you learned from it? What are you what's your takeaways? Um, again, just focus on the things that you can control. Don't worry about the things you can't. You know, don't like I, I was like not watching the news because that was just driving me bananas. I mean, during the last eighteen months, I've sort of decided to go on a bit of a health kick. I've lost three and a half stone. I, I went from couch to half marathon because these are all things that I can control. So I think that's been just the big thing. Just focus on things that you can that you can control. Don't worry about all the things you can't, because you can't do anything about them anyway. That's very true. It's, it's, yeah, focus on what you can control. So you, you mentioned, I mean, obviously after after having the kids and, and really getting back in, I mean, how did you find the, the, the PTSD thing? Was that sort of, um, or the sort of postnatal, sorry, was that... Was that something expected and is it something you're aware of or something you just worked through? Literally no. And I think it's interesting, especially around um, a lot of the mental health 
topics at the moment because it is a big, big topic. And I think a lot of things vary from different levels. So mild to massive, if that makes sense. And although everybody's things in their head will be massive, by concentrating on things they can control, not things they can't control, can sometimes alleviate the pressure. And then there's things that are hormonal and you just can't. So like the postnatal depression was it was a complete um, hormone imbalance. I mean, that was just, you know, two kids and and it was just, it was just horrific. That, that was just off the planet. And I think that taught me though that it just break things down, you know, don't get, don't get so involved in big problems. Don't look at the big problem. Just deal with one little thing at a time. Concentrate on the things you can control and don't worry about the things you can't. And I think that taught me a lot. And I think if people can even just learn little bits, it will just help to reduce the pressure. I think it's not about finding a solution to it, but if you can reduce it and feel better in yourself, then that will help you. And the more you learn to do that, the the less it, it, it will affect you is the sort of point on that but again like postnatal depression that that was hormonal so that's a completely different ball game into um you know levels with it all well it's true i suppose that, i mean that, that overall mantra is just almost taking a step at a time it doesn't you don't have to change the whole world in, in two steps it's and I think that's where, again, it comes back to all you need to do is bring your A-game and like one day your A-game might literally just be putting on your shoes and getting dressed. Another day your A-game is taking over the world of speaking and speaking at a massive event in front of thousands of people. It, it, the A-game is just all you can do is your best. And, you know, you can't, you can't sustain, you know, you look at the rock and roll lifestyle, you can't sustain that every day. You know, it's, you've got to have that balance in there. Yeah, some days just need to be a pajama day, right? You know, I just you do. Uh, and that's okay. And that's the thing. That's the best you can do on that day. That's all you could have done that day. So you just have to and and if you don't feel it's the best that you could have done, well make the next day be the best you can do that day and forget the day before. You know, it's the same as like diet and exercise. It'd be brilliant to go, Oh yes, I've had the perfect diet today. Oh yes, I've done like wow, I've done all this running. But you can't look back at yesterday and say, oh, I wish I'd done that yesterday. All you can do is concentrate on what you're going to do today and don't be harsh on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Just do your best that day. That's it. How are you quitting? Are you good at quitting things that don't work for you? Well, again, like, you know, coming back to the vision board, I'm, I'm okay at quitting. I can say that. I just wasn't. I'll give it my best. I'll give it my best shot. And if I think, well, that's not going to work. It's the same, like, you know, even now, like running a business, the number of times during the period from when I said it up, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. I'm going to jack it in, blah, 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 blah. And you know that, and that's okay. You go, well, why am I going to jack it in? Because of this, this, and this, right? Okay. And how can that affect it? And again, I have conversations with myself in my head all the time. And I think my pride doesn't let me quit very easily. I'm quite proud and it's like that's I think it's the pride that keeps me going every day and stops me from quitting but if I feel something's not right I don't I'm not scared to quit I'm not scared to say no I'm not doing that anymore that's that's just it it's always interesting that sort of inner language as you say as long as you've got more good days than bad then you know overall the balance is okay I don't know anybody that has a great day every day anybody that tells you they do then I think they're telling little white lies <laughs> It is that balance. I mean, that's, I mean, do you, do you enjoy, and you, you, you refer to having like a team around you. I mean, are you better in that creative environment oh, that yeah. sort of needs someone to bounce off? Yeah, I need that. Like, that's why like during um, lockdown, I hadn't, I didn't furlough my team. Everybody kept working. So I had to bring in revenue to pay the wages because 
I think that we all, including myself, needed structure. And that structure really helps our mental health and keeps us stable and strong and focused. And if I'd have furloughed the team, I'd have ended up just sitting watching Richard and Judy every day. I'm not that old to my age, but I'd have just sat and, and lost focus. Having people around me and, again, being an extrovert, I really thrive on that focus. So talk to me then, I mean, through that period, you know, and you've really, you're sort of getting the, getting the kids up and, you know, starting to see them, you know, really get going. I mean, when did you come back into sort of full force then? I think I've always had full force in what, what I did, but I think the, uh, so, uh, and I think this is another important thing, timing. So if you look, timing was everything. So I, if I'd have started a business 20 years ago, it wouldn't have, I would have had to quit because I just didn't, I couldn't juggle all the balls. But then starting a business in my late 40s, when the kids were both at high school, I had time back and my parents had passed away. So time, I think it's the timing is everything. And so many people start at the wrong time and they don't evaluate the time and then then they blame themselves when it goes wrong or worse still, they blame other people when it goes, but it's the, just the timing wasn't right. You got, timing is absolutely everything. That's true. I mean, did you, were you trying to do everything or was it just, you know, are you, are you fairly good at managing your own space? I'm good. I'm like highly organized. I've got like an empty inbox every day. Like that's our policy, company policy. Every inbox every day is empty and filed. And if not, then we are one of the things I'm at, I talk about is time management. And rather than like the Eisenhower quadrant, I talk about Alice and Edgar's big balls. So our to-do lists are not linear. They're basketballs, tennis balls and ping pong balls. So we really, ha- I like, I'm highly organized. I had to be, I think that's again, one of the things that, you know, when all the stuff was going on, the parents, the, you know, work, the kids being young, the, you know, absolutely everything. And again, if you want something done, give it to the busiest person in the room. You have to be highly organised. And I think that's a massive strength that I've got is I'm highly organised. Does that, I mean, does that come as a result of the dyslexia, do you think? Or is that just just a, a sort of a structure you found it's works best for you? Like, I think I have to, yeah, I have to think to... But even when I worked in corporate and worked on a CRM, I used to get worklist OCD, right? Because if I was mentoring somebody and their, their um, worklist was dirty, oh, drive me bananas. Like, well, there's a cancellation. That's like, how can you how can you work from that, that worklist on your CRM? Because you don't know what's going on. And that's the same with the fact that we've got empty inboxes every day. Like, so if something comes in my inbox, I just honestly wish that maybe we should ask LinkedIn to organise their link their inboxes a wee bit better because I lose track with that because it's so messy. Whereas if something hits my inbox, then it gets actioned straight away. I promise I'm never going to show you my inbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's great the way different people work and, and different policies. You know, it's uh, how have you found that we're bringing on the team? I mean, have you just has that evolved? You know, I love that. I think because I took on a team early day from the start of the journey. Really, just after I had started the business, I had somebody that worked for me because um, I just always needed that support, that creativity to bounce around, that some you know somebody to help do the bits that I'm not brilliant at, which is the you know the written stuff and the quotationy things and all that. I've always had somebody involved to do that for me. Was that a conscious choice for you at 46? I mean, was it just a case of going right time to? time to shine or was it a case of scratching the head of going you know there's something more here 
I mean, I, I had no idea. I, I didn't want to work for the company that I worked for because they'd gone through a lot of change at the wrong time. And I just thought, this is not this is not for me. And I felt, I didn't know. I phoned my, one of my friends that I went to school with, said, I want to do something different. She goes, you should set up your own business teaching people to sell the way that you sell. And I thought, right, okay, let me do that. And that's what I did. So again, feeding off other people and just taking, and then just going, just what's the worst if it fails? Well, you know, I've tried it. Well, you know, go to, your, go to your deathbed and think, oh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that. I don't think I'll ever go to my deathbed and think I wish I'd done that because I've given everything a try that I wanted to do. I mean, you talked earlier, you know, about sort of almost inspirational people. I mean, do you have, you know, was there heroes or certain people that stood out in your life that, you know, really sort of that you look back on? Do you know, no. Um, yes and no. Like, this is the bit where most people go, hmm, Lord Sugar, Richard Branson, Ariana Huffington, none of them. I mean, I, I'm more inspired by the everyday person who just does something a little bit different and, um, you know, I, I'm inspired by my team, like Rebecca that works for me. She um, did struggle, you know, she didn't have a great start. And, you know, she's come with me. She's lost six stone in weight. She is the queen of organising stuff. Like, she's a completely different girl. She's been with me now for three years in January. She was telling me the other day she's been with me for three years in January. And then before that, we had Kaya. She was there for a couple of years and Jordan was there and, and Natasha, Gemma, my team inspire me. I work, I surround myself with good people, my entrepreneurs that I work with. I mean, oh my goodness, Jordan Deacon, Ben Tower, Simon Crowther, you know, that these are just people that touch my life every day. I, 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 you know, and you know, and you know about them, whereas you think, oh, Lord Sugar, Richard Branson, well, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors in anybody's business. So I'm not inspired by, you know, that doesn't inspire me, really. Uh, it's the normal everyday people that inspire me that just do different thing, different things. Do you see yourself as an entrepreneur out of interest? Uh, you know, it's really interesting. I'm obviously the entrepreneur's godmother and people will say I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't know if I'm that entrepreneurial. I think entrepreneurship comes with big risk taking and I don't think I'm a massive risk taker. I think I take the odd risk. At, you know, on paper, I think people might think I am, but... And again, maybe it's because I'm not that inspired. You know what? On my vision board, there's not like dollar signs and pound notes. There, you know, it's obviously a little bit, but I, I don't think that, oh, I want a multi-million pound business. I think there's a load of bullshit in business and I hate all this get rich quick thing. Do you want to make seven figures? All you need to do is pay me seven figures. And also then you screw somebody else out of seven figures. I hate all that stuff. So... I think those people would say they're entrepreneurial and I just think they're just there's a lot of ripoff, especially in the coaching market and personal development market. So that's that would be one of the worst things people could say behind my back is that they think I'm a con. That's, you know, coming back to that earlier question. It's mad, isn't it? You know, as you say, and you can even tell in your body language, but like going, nope, wouldn't be happy with that at all. Wouldn't, wouldn't. That would be one of the worst things that could, people would say to me is that, oh, I worked with her and she conned me or she... You know, and I, I tell you who I'm loving at the moment. You've seen him on LinkedIn, Mike Winnett. He does all the contrepreneur stuff. Oh, I love him. Like, he does his things. I think it's a Friday afternoon. I'm going, oh, it's Friday afternoon. Who's he going to talk about this week? That kind of stuff, really. That I like all that. That's brilliant. 
Yeah, he's, I've, I've met Mike and he's hopefully coming on the show very shortly. So uh, I'm sort of expecting I have a bit of property in my background and stuff. And I, I don't know how the interview is going to go. So it should be uh, should be quite interesting, let's <laughs> say, you know. But it's lovely when someone calls it, right? You know, that's straight talking. And yeah, love it. seem to be a bit straight talking yourself. Yes, yes, yes. I've, I've been known to uh, shout out about that kind of stuff. And I, but then it's not... You know, like property is a great example. I believe that you can make money from property. Honestly, I'm a friend of Martin Roberts, right? So there we go. Martin Roberts from Homes Under the Hammer. And we're really good friends, right? And that man has not only made money from the telly, but he has made money from property. But what he doesn't, and he does a little bit, he'll tell you how to, to make money from property. But what he won't go is, do you want to make millions? You just pay me millions. And so many people in that genre don't make money from property they make money from telling you how to make millions from property and people are fundamentally greedy they want the magic bullet and then they'll pay money and then they'll go oh I don't know why I didn't make any money from that you know so you've got that balance that there wouldn't be a market for the get rich quick if people weren't greedy and mad and paid them the money in the first place that's so true. I mean, out of interest, I mean, what's what's your sort of you know your mentorship style? I mean, are you are you that sort of focus on the mindset and then the gentle stick carried back? No, I'm back? all about skills, really. I think the mindset comes into it, but I think skills. I mean, I'm very process driven because obviously I've written a book about sales process, and that's where the fundamentals come in. So I'm very um, the mentorship is more coaching, but with homework. <laughs> so it's skills based than. The mindset's important, but that it doesn't come up that much in the coaching sessions. It's more skills, I think, that are the, the things that people need. Well, because, I mean, you do in your book, I mean, you talk, you know, in your book there, you know, these uh, the secrets of successful sales. I mean, that's, you know, what, what's, what are you trying to get across there? What's the core principle? So it's got four pillars. The first one is behaviors because people buy people and they buy people like them. And then sales process, strategy and confidence. And it's all based on what the top performers did. What did I do as a top performer and what did the top performers do? So it's based on that. It's a great way. I mean, did you enjoy you know, enjoy the book writing process? Is that something? No, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. So I had to, um, I, I tried to cut every corner. I thought, oh, I can get a ghostwriter. Oh, I can narrate it. I can do that. Oh, and it didn't work. So one day, Kaya that worked in the team, she went, you're just going to have to get your finger out and you're going to have to get this done. And I did, there was tears, there was tantrums, but we got it. And Kaya was like an absolute dream. And I've written another one again. Kaya's been back over lockdown helping me write the next book. So um, we're just waiting to see what we're going to do with that one. But there's two books now finished, which is just, again, something I never thought I I could ever do. Never really wanted to do it. It was just the fact, again, looking at that bank of give back, how can I teach people what I know for a tenner? And that's why you have to write a book. That's what gets you through. Do you find, I mean, do you read at all? I mean, is that your thing? Are you a listener or what way do you go? I, I like I like the YouTube. I like to watch, again, the kinesthetic thing. I like to watch what people see. Um, and it's interesting because I was doing a dyslexic podcast for a lady in Canada a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, if somebody said to me, have you read a lot of books? I'd say, no, I've not read a lot of books. But I, I joined a book group. I'm a member of a book group. And in book group, they're going, oh, have you read like uh, this book? Like, I don't know, Flowers in the Attic. Have you read this book? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've read that book. Oh, have you read? Oh, have you read One Day? Yeah, I've read that book. And I'm like, hmm. For somebody that can't read, I've actually read quite a lot of books. But they're all fiction. 
And I can read a fiction book because I follow the story. I really struggle with business books because there's no story. A lot of them are just dull. And that's where the dyslexia really kicks in because I can't retain the information because there's no story. And I think that's what I've learned that, you know, make sure there's a story when you're writing even a business book. That's very true, isn't it? I mean, I remember thinking Grow Rich the first time I sort of went through it and I listened to it and it was kind of going, I just don't want it. Everyone's raving about, you know, <laughs> like moved on, well, got chapter you know, three and that was it. I was gone. So, you know, Think and Grow Rich, can't read that one, struggled. Um, what other ones have I been trying to do? The Secret, oh, I just, I just don't think I believe in The Secret. I just, sorry for MD that loves The Secret, but I think you make your own luck and, and it happens because you're working your backside off. Um, I was, there was another one the other day. Oh, Simon Sinek's Find Your Why. Oh, I didn't like that one either because it was all about Harley Davidson and Southwest Airlines. And I'm like, oh, no. So, I, again, so it's really interesting that I do believe in finding your why, but I'm not a fan of the book. Sorry, Simon, if you're listening. Isn't it funny? I mean, what, what was your style? What did you want to come across? I mean, you, you wrap a story through it, really. Is, you're saying, is that to make it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that the tone and the voice, and it's really funny if I meet somebody, they go, oh, Alison, I've been reading it in a Scottish accent, so they kind of read it in Scottish. And I think the book, a lot of people have read the book because they've heard me speak or they've seen, you know, me on a podcast or on a YouTube channel, or and then that's why they buy the book. But, yeah, so... That's great. I mean, a great way to have it. And I mean, do you do you focus on having multiple assets and things that you know are working while you sleep? Is that is that part of your strategy or what? A residual income <laughs> sounds like something with a seven at the end from yeah. my uh, yes and no. I mean, I believe that to get empty to buy anything, it's like you need a strong marketing strategy. So it was never done, but people do. But well, people do. It moves up the charts when I'm sleeping. So. Yeah, maybe it, it was. It's just really done because I know that what's in the book works because I've I've used it for thirty odd years and I know it works. And the small business owner or people at the start of their journey don't know this stuff, and it's my job to teach them it. So that's why I did it, and that's you know we market it. But uh, you, like I make fifty pence on a book on Amazon, so it's not like you know <laughs> it's neither here nor there really. But the fifty here pence. Come the, here come the Caymans. Yep, that's it. Yeah, that's, uh... I'm going to retire with my fifty pence per book. It is. I mean, a lot of people don't actually get that that it's 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 brand building. It's you know it's knowledge. It's you know it's it's expand. You know it's it's that side. It's not profiteering as such. You know, writing books. No, definitely not. You know what I mean? What for you in terms of? Um, you know, working with entrepreneurs and, and, you know, so many people out there, what, what are the things that you always try and get across and what do you find is sort of a common, you know, sort of thing that people struggle with? I think sales, like I know it sounds really odd, but like a lot of I meet people and again, you know, that's that definition of entrepreneurship. Like, so say somebody that owns a business, they go, oh, I can't wait to get somebody in to do sales. Well, that's going to cost you a lot of money. How much are your stuff? Do you need to sell to cover that cost? You need to learn to do it yourself. And I think that's where all the best successful entrepreneurs that I have worked with and I know, know how to sell and they enjoy it. I think that's the secret. It's not knowing how to do it. It's enjoying it. And obviously, as the businesses grow, you know, they've got other people in the organizations that do that, but they still have that passion for sales. And that passion, you know, still comes across in, in their business. I love it. Thomas, what's a, what's a bit of a non-guilty, guilty pleasure for you? Boot camp. 
I like a bit of boot camp. Is that allowed? Is it? Yeah. So I, I found boot camp as a late developer. So about the well, the beginning of lockdown was it May or June? And I do that three times a week in the outdoors. And like we were out on Saturday, and I come back, I'm absolutely covered in mud because it's all outdoors. But that's a sort of guilty non guilty pleasure as I'm enjoying exercise, which for all those years, fifty odd years, I didn't do any, and now I'm kind of loving the bit of exercise. So. I'd say boot camp is one of my things at the moment. Is it your energy or the buzz or the challenge? What is it? But all of it. I think apart from the cold. Mind you, it's not cold when you're actually doing it, but um yeah, just all and, and I do it with Neil. Neil does it as well, my husband. So I think again comes back to the quality of the relationship, doing something together. Mm. That's great. It's always, you know, as you say, it's a bit of activity as well, especially when these it's funny when you've had these restrictions, you know, have you found it to the lockdown or the changes? Yeah, no, because no, I've made myself be busy. So I've gone out pretty much every day. I've done the daily exercise and I've gone, again, I had never done running for 50, 51 years and I took up running. So I do running or even just walking. I like my Fitbit. I like to like compete against myself and my steps and things. So, yeah. Great way to have it. So tell me if you were to describe, you know, your, your fire in the belly in one or two words, you know, Alison, what would it be? I missed that one. Sorry, what did you say? Sorry, if you were to describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, what oh, would my it be? Yeah, yeah. Um, passion, energy, impact, confidence, uh, legacy. You know, it's all those kind of positive words that I think that I'd like to, to, that's the fire in the belly for me, leaving that legacy behind. More than two words, but we'll let you away with it, but that's okay. <laughs> Always got to push it a bit further. There's always a wee cheeky charm in there. It's like, yeah, yeah I can get away with this. I love this, you know. <laughs> when you you talked about legacy before, what's what is that to you? What 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 do you want to see as your legacy? I just think people remembering me for the things that I've done, you know. And then I think that's the thing when you start your business a wee bit later that you know I want people the way that I talk about my granny, the way that I talk about my mum for the different things that they would have not thought they'd achieved in their life, but they did. Like granny had like nearly 100 grandchildren. My mum had like a big, you know, a big following at the top of the hill when she went for her shopping. Like everybody remembers Jessie. You know, that's her legacy. And I just want my legacy to be around, you know, the good things that I've done. Obviously the MBEs are a big legacy and and just, you know, what I've done to help other people. Thomas, where did the godmother sort of um, label come from? Well... So one of my little entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, is called Rose Butler, who's actually from Northern Ireland, right? And I absolutely love him. He's so naughty. He's such a naughty boy. He makes gin, right? And when I was, I'm the managing director of Sales Coaching Solutions, and I needed a personal brand, but I didn't just want to be Alison Edgar. And I said, look, I need a name for that. And I phoned him up, and he's so creative. He's divine. And he said, oh, that's easy. You're the entrepreneur's godmother. And I went, I so am. And I, I Googled Godmother and it means a person of influence in somebody's life or organisation. And I'm a person of influence in somebody's life or organisation. And to be honest, that's the legacy. That's it's such a great, as you say, it's like a brand in itself and it stands alone. There's only there's only really one of you and that's cool too. There's that's only one of me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world the world's good with that. You know, it's like this is one of you and you're, unique in every way so that's, that's beautiful it's a beautiful way to have it so tell us Alison I mean where can where can people find out more and, and learn more about you and really hunt you down track you down um, I'm quite easy to find so on Instagram Twitter 
Um, I'm at the Alison Edgar. Facebook is the, I know Facebook is Alison Edgar MBE. Um, LinkedIn is Alison Edgar or Alison Edgar or the Entrepreneur's Godmother. I'm quite easy to find. Like I don't hide very well on social media. I don't hide very well on Google. You'll find me. I'm easy to find. So just reach out and say hello. The book is Secrets of Successful Sales and it's available on Amazon. Um, the YouTube ch- channel is Alison Edgar MBE. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm easy. I don't hide. Why would you, why would you, um, I, I like to believe that why would you um, not stand out when you can, you know, why would you blend in when you can stand out? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it makes all the difference. So what's, what's the final message you'd like to leave us with? Um, I think literally you need to have the fire in your belly because it's the fire the be- in the belly that me- takes the momentum to push you to be the amazing person that you are. So if you've not got that fire in your belly, you need to find it. That would be my parting gift. Love it. Alison, we better let you get on and have some faffing time. So uh, thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you for sharing and it's lovely being here. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.